0: This morning, we are going to pick up our series in the book of Galatians, New Testament letter, written by the Apostle Paul. And here's where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. Um, This morning, we're looking at um, the end of uh, chapter two. Next week, uh, Wayne, uh, one of our elders and pastoral assistant, is going to uh, move us into the third chapter of Galatians. Um, Is that true, Wayne? Did you make a decision? Okay. I thought I should check before I make that official. It's official. Um, and then the week after that, we're going to have Daryl Watley, uh, a missionary that we support uh, who does campus ministry at Dell State, is going to be with us. And then I will uh, preach again from Galatians the first Sunday uh, of August. So for this morning, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, that's the section that we are going to be looking at, and a real quick refresher for those of you um, who maybe have forgotten the context of this letter, or maybe you haven't been with us. Galatia was a Roman province in Asia Minor. So when I say Asia Minor, think modern-day Turkey. If you have any geographical sense of where Turkey is, that's where uh, that was the location of this this church or. Um, more accurately, this group of churches throughout Galatia. And the driving question uh, in this letter that Paul is really wanting to answer is, on what basis are non-Jewish people included in the church? Specifically, it comes down to this. Is it really simply salvation in Christ alone is sufficient to be included in the church, or is it Salvation in Christ, faith in Christ, plus essentially becoming culturally Jewish and following all of the Jewish uh, customs. That's the question that is in the background. There was a group um, in Galatia, uh, we refer to them or, or scholars refer to them as the Judaizers. The Judaizers were creeping into the church saying, okay, yes, Jesus is really important. Jesus is part of the equation or part of the formula, but guess what, non Jewish people? You actually do have to essentially become Jewish. You have to embrace Jewish customs and follow um, things like circumcision, dietary restrictions, and all that is included in that. And Paul is wanting to write to say, no, absolutely not. The formula is not Jesus plus anything else, it's Jesus plus nothing, it's Jesus alone. And so, we can think about it this way. Paul's writing to these, this young church, these young Christians, to call them out of danger, to warn them of this, to call them back into the beauty of the gospel, faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let me read uh, verses 15 through 21 for us. And um, two weeks ago, we uh, got into the overall context, really, of this passage, uh, Paul, the writer of this letter, and Peter, who was another uh, apostle, had basically a um, a confrontation. It was a confrontation. Uh, Because Peter, um, though he had had a vision in his life that changed his life, a vision which clearly instructed him that people are not made clean by what they eat or don't eat, but it's by faith in Christ, even though he had that vision, came to embrace um, that, that message there was an incident where Paul, or where Peter was refusing to have fellowship, refusing to eat with Gentiles, with non-Jewish people. And so he was going back on what he had embraced as the gospel. And why was he doing it? He was doing it because of the pressure around him. Fellow Jewish friends um, telling him that uh, it's actually Jesus plus something else. And so this interfered with his social relationships, and Paul confronts Peter on it. He says, he rebukes him. He says, you are in the wrong. You need to bring yourself into alignment with the truth of Jesus. And the truth of Jesus changes everything and actually uh, empowers you to love people who are different from you and to have table fellowship with them. So that's the the context of these verses. Paul writes this beginning in verse 15. Um, And you can think especially here, he's still kind of speaking to Peter, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is wanting to make sure that he's clear here. Verse 17 And the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It's a lot of confusing stuff in there, so if you feel a little confused, that's okay. I don't know if I should tell you I'm still a little bit confused about some of the stuff in here, I don't know if that helps or not. Um, But I do know this, we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's now pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us from the Word this morning. Holy Spirit, we're grateful that this is just not uh, an exercise that we enter into with our own wisdom, with our own resources, but you are with us, your people. You are in us. And so we pray that you would open the Word to us. We pray that you would drive it home to our hearts and our lives with power, with conviction, in life-transforming ways. And we trust that you, you are able to do this, that you're able to come and find us in our personal stories this morning, wherever we are, believing, disbelieving, unsure of what we believe. Teach us the word so that we might see Jesus and live our lives more fully for him. We pray in his name. Amen. Walter Hooper was a friend of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is no longer living, but he was a Christian who was a writer and thinker. And Walter Hooper, C.S. Lewis's friend, told the story once about a conversation that he and C.S. Lewis had together. And here's what Walter Hooper shares about that conversation. One day, he and I were speculating as to what would happen if a group of friendly and inquisitive aliens appeared... And asked what Christianity is. Have You ever had this conversation? No? I have this conversation at least like once a week. Not really, I'm kidding. We wondered how many people could supply them with much in the way of accurate information. On the whole, we doubted whether the aliens would take back to their world much that is worth having. All right, so yeah, it's a little weird to imagine, but I, I think the point, um, hopefully, it can be made clear that we, we can apply it to ourselves in our day. Let's just say, hypothetically, that aliens landed here in the city of Wilmington, and as Christian, they asked of the Christians in Wilmington, all right, tell us about Christianity. Would they be able to go back to where they're from with anything that is actually helpful with a, a, a good understanding of what the Christian faith is all about? I don't know. We can make it more real. As our neighbors around us, our our neighbors who do not embrace the Christian faith, as they ask the church, as they ask us questions about the Christian faith, are we able to supply them? So we're not talking about aliens anymore. We're talking about actual real people that live among us. Would we be able to supply them with answers that actually are comprehensible, understandable, and Um, could possibly lead them down the road of understanding what Christianity really is. I ask this question because it is easy for us inside the church to regularly participate in God talk. Um, I'm using this phrase because it came up in the confession of sin that we read earlier together that Wayne led us in. Uh, It says that we have... um, We do what we want and then sprinkle God talk on the top when it goes our way. We can have a tendency to give ourselves to God talk. And what I mean by that is that we are so familiar with the Christian faith, we're so used to it, we're so accustomed to it, that we talk about it all the time, but we actually don't stop to think about what we're actually talking about, what we actually believe and how it's relevant and meaningful to our lives. God talk. And so one of the questions that we're going to ask here is has to do with this idea of being justified by Christ, justified in Christ. This is a word that Paul uses four times in these verses, 15 through 21. Now, we've actually used this word frequently already in this series. I don't know, maybe we've had three sermons in the Galatian series, and it's probably true, I would have to go back, but it's probably true that I have used this word at least once in each of those sermons. But Paul doesn't actually use the word until these verses at the end of chapter two. But the reason that I have used the word already in this series is because Paul has been referring to it without using the term already in the beginning of his letter. But the question is this, is this talk of justification, of being justified, is it just God talk? is it just God talk? And what we have to think about is that it has the potential to just be God talk if we are unable to connect it to real life. And so I want to just ask two questions this morning for us to consider and think about. Is it relevant? It's this idea of being justified, is it relevant? And then how is it relevant? So is it relevant and how is it relevant? It's important to remember the context I I said this um, before I read the verses. The context is this confrontation between Paul and Peter. Paul is calling Peter out. Why? Because Peter is failing to connect the message of Jesus to real life. He's failing to be able to apply it. And so what does Peter do? Peter steps back from having community, having a meal with people who are different from him, Because in practice, he's getting all mixed up about the gospel. He's reverting back to, oh, you know what? Actually, um, it is Jesus plus something else. And so I can't really associate with you because you aren't Jewish like me. The the, the deeper issue that we're going to get into is this issue of self-justification. Because Peter felt pressure. He felt peer pressure. That's what it was. If you go back up to uh, the section where this confrontation happens in verse 12, it says, for before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but then when they came, he drew back. So he feels peer pressure. He wants to be accepted by them. He he wants to be um, in with them. And so he um, basically, uh, it, it becomes misaligned with the gospel in order to receive that um, that support, that connection, and that uh, desire to be in with this other group. And so in verse uh, 15, Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And what Paul means by that when he says not Gentile sinners, he means we are not non-Jewish people who have no regard for the law. What, what, where he's going with this is he's saying, dude, Peter, what are you doing here? We remain Jewish, but we've reached a point in our spiritual journeys because of the revelation of Jesus where we don't even follow all of these Jewish customs anymore because we no longer think that they're necessary to really be accepted by God. Acceptance by God comes through faith in Jesus. And so how is it the case, why is it the case that you actually now are telling non-Jewish people that they must follow things that we're not even going to follow anymore? This is the the big point that Paul is trying to make to Peter. And then verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the question. And if you I wouldn't uh, expect this, but if you were paying attention closely to previous sermons, I've defined what it means to be justified, so um, you could possibly, even just from past sermons in this series, know the answer. But we're going to ask the question anyway, because we don't want to fall into the trap of God talk, of being able to give definitions and talk about things without really understanding them and having them be meaningful to our lives. So what does it mean to be justified? What is this word that Paul is using. Well, justification is a declaration that somebody is in the right. It's actually a term, the term that is used in the New Testament, used by Paul here, it is actually a legal term. And so it's meant to, if we understand that, kind of bring us into the imagery of a courtroom. So justification is meant to create a picture of a judge's verdict that someone is right, that they are in the right. And so, what Paul is getting at here is that there is a need in life to be justified by God. In other words, we could think of God as a judge. And there's a need that we have in life for God the judge to declare us to be right or to be in the right. Do we actually need to be justified? I mean, Paul's saying we do. The Bible says that we do, but do we really need to be justified? Let's kind of hold that question in the background and we'll come back to it. Because I think we need to answer um, something else. What does Paul mean by works of the law? So a person is not justified by works of the law. So um, here's the kind of context of the argument here. There is a need for us to be justified. That's kind of in the background, that's Paul's assumption. He's presuming that. We have a need to be justified before God, but we have a tendency to justify ourselves by works of the law. What, what, what is meant by that? What are works of the law? Well, works of the law would include things like circumcision, food laws, uh, various, following various festivals in the Jewish calendar. And so Paul is saying that a person is not declared to be right, A person is not declared to be in the right based on their ability to follow all of these commands and laws and restrictions. In other words, to to, to begin to make it more practical maybe for us, more relevant to our lives, we do not become right with God based on human effort. We do not become acceptable to God based on obeying a standard or a moral law. All right, let's hold that in the background now. We're holding a lot of stuff in the background. We're going to tie it all together here in a moment. What then is faith in Jesus Christ? Because remember, Paul's argument is this. A person is not justified. So he's presuming, he's assuming that we need to be justified. A person though is not justified by works of the law, not by human effort, not by following a moral code or standard, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What is faith in Jesus Christ? It's the opposite, right? It's the opposite of depending on human effort to justify ourselves, to try to make ourselves acceptable to God. The opposite of justified is condemned. That's helpful for this conversation. Um, Biblically speaking, the opposite of justified is Condemned. And so what Paul is saying is that in Christ, though we actually are sinners, though we actually are um, fallen, though we actually are um, rebels against God, we are not under condemnation through faith in Christ. God accepts us despite our sin. The point is this, that we are not acceptable to God because we actually become righteous. Righteous. So if you are a Christian this morning, there is a sense in which you are righteous, um, but it's not because you have arrived in your ability to perform in life, to obey God's commands. You are righteous because Christ's righteousness counts as yours through faith in Him. All right, now let's all that, remember all that, I can't even remember all the stuff we have floating in the background. How are we going to do this? We'll do our best. Is this God talk? And so maybe we're following along with Paul's argument and we could say, all right, I get it. This argumentation makes sense. It's comprehensible. It's clear. But this is like church stuff. It's Bible stuff. It's God stuff. Not exactly sure how it connects to actual living throughout the week. I uh, came across uh, an article. It was kind of a review of a book but not really a review it was just talking about actually talking about the relevance of this study that was done and the the title of this article was this justifying regrettable actions in self and others a human tendency question mark so justifying regrettable action in self and others a human tendency And the person writing the article says this, one of the most relevant considerations of self-justification from a psychological perspective is this work that they're talking about. But then they say this, what the author suggests is that most of us have a difficult time admitting mistakes. And even when faced with evidence, we'll defend our position with self-justification. So I actually shared an example of this two weeks ago, how this plays out in... Um, a variety of relationships, including my marriage, where I will be maybe in a disagreement with someone. Um, and at some point uh, in the course of the conversation, I realize that that person is right and I am wrong. But guess what I do sometimes? I continue to argue my point because I do not want to admit that I'm wrong and I do not want to be perceived as wrong by the other person. That, that, that actually is what is being talked about here. And then it goes on to say this finally, self-justification is a defense against feeling badly about ourselves by convincing ourselves that what we did was the best thing that we could do. So is what Paul is talking about here, this importance of justification of the need to be justified in Christ, is it simply just God talk? I don't think that it is. This idea of justification of the need to be justified is talked about broadly in our culture and in our world. And we personally, individually know this to be true. Uh, We know it to be true based on the kind of examples that I just shared, but we can actually kind of think about life through the lens of everything that we do in our lives so often is really an attempt to self-justify to prove our worth, to validate ourselves, to make ourselves acceptable to others. Why does Peter, again, why does he revert back to his old ways? Because he feels the pressure of his peers, and he wants to be accepted by them. He wants to be justified by them. He wants to be justified in their eyes, and so he misaligns himself with the message of the gospel in order to give into this and feel, oh, okay, at least in the moment, I'm accepted by them. I'm justified. Justification, the need to be justified in Christ, is not simply God talk, it's real talk. And you see, when we actually are connecting the truths of Scripture, the truths of the biblical story to life, God talk is the same thing as real talk. God talk is the same thing as real talk, because the biblical story presents us with the true story of the world. The biblical story draws us into how life works, it tells us the truth about God, it tells us the truth about ourselves, and it tells us about the truth about the world in which we live. And as we um, gain a more accurate understanding in all of those things, and we live in light of it, we begin to flourish as people. We begin to find our strive, our stride in life because it's what we are actually made for. And so this talk of justification is not simply God talk, it's real talk, because it is authentic God talk. Now, this general need of the human condition to be justified is not just general. And here's what I mean. Like you, just in sharing my story, my examples with you of how I sometimes defend what I know is actually not real or true in order to be justified in my own eyes or maybe sometimes in the eyes of others you can pro- you can relate to that you can resonate with that and you probably in those moments maybe still are like filling in the blanks for yourself oh yeah I did that this past week in this conversation or I'm doing it in this area of life but but that's all kind of general you know in the sense that we we all know that to be true because it's the human condition but then it gets more specific because each of us has our own personal story And in our personal stories, we have done things, haven't we? We've done things that we're ashamed of. We've done things that have brought harm to us, that have brought harm to others. But not only that, in our stories, people have done things to us. People have done things that have hurt us. And so, you know, it could be that you, part of your story is the rejection that you have because you never felt the love and acceptance of a father or a mother. Or maybe you um, uh, experienced rejection from a spouse or somebody that you deeply loved. Or maybe it's that you long to be in a relationship and you're currently not. And, you know, I, I could <laughs> come up with a whole list of things. But you see, it gets specific. The need to justify ourselves gets specific. And so what I'm saying is that, generally speaking, this is true for all of us as fallen human beings in this world. We were made for relationship with God. We were made to find our identity in who God tells us we are. We were made to experience the depths of God's love for us in such a way that we are actually transformed daily and we bask in that love. And that love frees us to love others authentically. That's what we were made for. But because we are fallen, that we've fallen out of relationship with God, we are separated from Him because of our self-justifying ways, because of our sin, things then from that point get more specific based on our own stories of how we uh, personally, sin and how we've personally been sinned against, and so this is important. This is an important piece of self-awareness. It's not just enough to say, "Okay, I embrace that truth, that reality, that as a human being, I have a tendency to try to justify myself." But what I would encourage you to do is the hard work of going below the surface and to examine and to be aware of why. How does that express itself, particularly in your life? What is it that you're constantly warring against, constantly battling against, um, in order, in an attempt to prove yourself, to validate yourself, and to ultimately justify yourself? So I want you to see that what Paul is talking about here is not simply God talk, it's real talk. This is relevant. How is it relevant? Well, verses 17 and 18 are really confusing. They really are. I've read them, I don't know, a hundred times or more this past week. And sometimes I think, okay, I understand clearly how um, they they fit into um, the whole argument. And part of me is tempted to just skip over them and to tell you what um, Tim Keller, who is a pastor, wrote a study on Galatians, said in a leader's manual that I was looking at on Galatians. He said, Basically, these two verses are really confusing. There's a lot of disagreement on what we mean, but you can just tell your small group that they're not critical to the overall argument being made here, all right? So, oh, I really want to be able to do that, and I actually kind of am going to end up doing that, but we at least have to, like, acknowledge them, right? Because even though they're hard to understand, they're part of Scripture to us. So in verse 17, Paul says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? I think what Paul's saying here, it would be maybe helpful to read it in this way. And I'm not constructing this, I've got lots of help um, in doing this. If while we are seeking to live by faith that Christ justifies ourselves, justifies us, and we fall into sin, is it because of salvation by grace that that has happened? In other words, what Paul is dealing with is maybe the argument that Paul, or, or, is what you're saying here is that the law is now completely disregarded and unimportant. We, we, it's helpful to make a distinction. We've been making this probably in every sermon in this series. between the, So in the Old Testament, Israel's law, um, we can maybe helpfully kind of divide it up into different categories. Moral law, ceremonial law, and civil law. Civil law, as you might guess, uh, applied to... How Israel functioned as a society. That was specific to them at that point in, Redem- in, in history, in the, B- the Bible, in the Old Testament. There was also the ceremonial law, which included things like circumcision, dietary restrictions, um, observing different festivals and Sabbaths. Um, and then there's the moral law. So think Ten Commandments kind of stuff with the moral law. As you read the, te- the New Testament, what you learn is that the moral law, rooted in the Ten Commandments, is always binding. The reason is it's rooted in creation. It's rooted in God's intent for life in creation. I had a seminary professor that referred, I, I love this, and whenever I talk about the Ten Commandments like I'm about to just briefly, I use this. He referred to the Ten Commandments as the ten principles of liberation. Because so often we think of commands and rules as restrictions, and you know some of them are restrictions, but we think of them as bad. But that, that's not the case. They're rooted in God's intent for flourishing. And so as we learn to um, give ourselves to these commands and obey them, we actually flourish and are liberated. And so the moral law is good and beautiful, and it's always binding for people. But the ceremonial law is more of what's being referred to here, that the ceremonial law is no longer necessary. The ceremonial law and trying to follow it was meant to teach Israel about life with God, that holiness was really important. Being acceptable was really important, that God is holy, and he desires for his people to be separate. But now, with the coming of Jesus, uh, what the apostles and the New Testament writers are trying to communicate is that Jesus now is the fulfillment of all of that. You don't have to try to um, obey all of these things to have acceptance with God, and that actually was always true, but you don't have to obey these things to find acceptance with God. Rather, it's faith in Christ alone. And so Paul's not saying that the law um, altogether, every category of the law is no longer relevant. The moral law is still relevant. And so he's saying that just because I'm saying that certain parts of the law are no longer relevant and binding to you does not mean that you can then say, oh, it's all about faith in Christ so I can live however I want. That's not what Paul's saying. And in verse 18, um, he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, I'm even less clear on what um, is meant in this verse. It could be that if um, Paul begins hypothetically, if he were to go back to trying to live by the works of the law to prove himself, um, that ultimately what would happen would be the law would expose him his sin as a transgressor. transgressor I'm not exactly sure on that, so um, here's the point. It's not crucial to the overall argument, so don't worry about it. Not really, but um, can we, is it okay if we get to verse 19 now? For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. What does this mean? Again, it can't mean that we no longer are meant to obey the law of God. If we read the rest of the New Testament, that's clearly not the case because Paul is calling us back to certain commands that we are to obey um, as we walk in God's way. What Paul means is that he died to relating to the law as a way of making himself acceptable. In other words, he died to relating to the law in a way to be saved. The way that he relates to the moral law now is because he has found acceptance by God through faith in Christ, because he now has experienced the love of God, he is free to live out the commandments of God. He doesn't use the commandments of God to find favor in God, but because he has favor with God, he lives in light of the commandments of God. And so how is all of this relevant? You know, back to one of our, our main overarching questions. How, that was a lot of, like, in the weeds, and maybe you're a little confused, I'm a little confused. Um, so let's bring this home and bring it to, a, hopefully, some kind of meaningful close. As you really examine Paul's argument, and then picking up in, uh, well, again, that last part of verse 19, that he died to the law so that he might live to God. We can't overlook this point that Paul is making. Even though previously in his life, when Paul was trying to be a good Jew, he was um, all about the law. He was serious about the law, all of the commandments, trying to live them out perfectly. Notice what he says. He says, now with the change in faith in Jesus, he actually is free to live for God. What that means is that he's saying previously, he actually wasn't living for God. He was relating to the law, to this moral standard, to this moral code, not as a way, I mean, maybe he would have spun some God talk and he would have talked about it uh, as though he was doing it for God, but what Paul is acknowledging is that he actually was doing it all for self. That Paul was being a good Jew, trying to follow all of the rules and regulations not in response to a loving relationship with God, but as a way of trying to justify himself in life, as a way of trying to make himself acceptable to himself, to others, and even to God himself. And so in verse 20, here's the change. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This does not mean that Paul no longer has a personality, that Paul is no longer Paul. What it means is that he's died to his old self, his old ways of living. He's died to the old self and he's been made new in Jesus. And here's the the thing from the biblical perspective is that when we are crucified in Christ, and we are now in Christ, there's actually now the opportunity for us to become our truest selves. The opportunity now is there. We are positioned to become who we always were meant to be in the first place. So actually, really, our true personalities can come out. And now we're, we're really kind of getting at the conclusion here. How is it relevant? This, so justification is not everything in the Christian faith. It's not the only term that we can talk about. There are other terms um, like sanctification, for example. Sanctification refers to the lifelong process uh, of becoming more like Jesus day in and day out. And there are a whole host of other words that we could throw around and use. So um, justification does not cover the extent of the Christian life, but it is central, it's significant, and it's relevant. And Here's how ultimately I believe that it's relevant, because it situates us to love God and to love others in the way that we were meant to. We already picked up on it, you know, in Paul's argument, that now that he has died to the law, he now lives for God because he's now experienced the true depth of God's love for him in Christ. And that's what's beautiful um, as we go down. Paul says, I now, the life I now live in the flesh, I, have, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So even though justification takes us into the courtroom imagery, the courtroom scene, that's not the extent of the Christian faith either. Terminology like love is central. Justific love is part of the idea and theme of justification, that Christ gave himself up for us because he loved us. So I want you to to think about that in your own personal story for a moment, as you maybe think about some of the stuff that you've done and some of the stuff that has been done to you. When God made you alive in Christ, and at that moment he declared you to be right because of your faith in Jesus... He did not do so kind of like plugging his nose, moving near to you, like, "Ugh, all right, I'm going to do this for you, but I can barely stand. Love. Christ willingly gave himself up for you, knowing the fullness of your story. He did so in love. He moved near to you in the stench, in the hurt, in the pain, the grief, in all of it, and he gave himself up for you. And when we grow in this understanding of who God is, how He relates to us in Jesus, it expands. As we experience the love of God, it expands our love for God. And so, we don't have an attitude of, "Oh, this is awesome. I love this faith because it tells me that I can uh, believe and be good with God, but I can live however I want." That's not the case. And and really, that should not even as we're tasting of the love of God, that should not even begin to make its way into our thinking. Rather, because of the love of God, our posture, our attitude should be, I want to walk in God's ways. I want to submit myself fully to God's intentions for me because I know He loves me and it's what's best for me. And so justification has a personal dimension, but it also has a social dimension. And that brings us back to the content. We talked about this the last sermon in Galatians. It has a social dimension, because the overall context here still remains Paul's confrontation with Peter. How is it that we can grow in our ability to love others well, especially those who are different from us? How do we grow in that? I want to suggest to you that the, the strongest motivate, the most powerful motivation is to come back and rest in the fact that you are justified freely in Christ. Remember the article that I referred to in making the point that this isn't just God talk, it's real talk, talking about self-justification? Well, um, later in that article, it says this, if we suspend self-justification to tolerate this tension of being wrong, we are able to see other people's perspectives and we could be more accepting of blame and we will lose the illusion to need to control other people. So what, I, I want to do two things with this. One, I want you to see how even this author of this article is making the connection that if there's a way that we can suspend the need to justify ourselves, it actually is going to have a significant benefit, benefit for the people in our lives. We'll actually be able, they don't use this word, but we're able to love them better. Why is that? Well, because when we are living by the need to justify ourselves, we're always using people, aren't we? We're always using people. We're trying to manipulate them to gain control over them or to prove our worth, to show that we're better. We, we use them as our, our standard. And by the way, you know, that's a helpful application as well, that obviously Paul, the standard that he's referring to throughout this argument is God's law, but we all have a standard. Even if our, tol- even if our standard is tolerance of other people, guess what? You do not always live up to your own standard. So whatever standard you're talking about, we always fall short. But when it comes to the need to justify ourselves to prove our worth, we're always manipulating and using people. It's ugly stuff. And it's so subtle, we're just so used to it. But here's the the main thing in closing that I want to point out. If if we suspend self-justification, guess what? the article says absolutely nothing about how to do that. It basically just assumes that, okay, there's a way to suspend self-justification, and if you do it, then here are the benefits. There are no human attempts that we can come up with that would enable us to suspend self-justification. It runs far too deep And it runs far too deep because of both our general fallenness and our specific fallenness. And in thinking about our specific fallenness, those hurts that you have, those wounds that you have, the wrongdoings that you have committed, there is nothing, there is nothing that you can do to make it all right and whole. There's nothing that you can do to make it all right and whole, despite your striving Despite your attempts at self-justification, it will never happen. That's why you're still in this process of doing it. But the gospel offers us liberation. It offers us a solution that comes from outside of ourselves. That the God that we were made for relationship with, the God for whom we were meant to receive his love and love him in return, has loved us so deeply Unlike any other person who knows all of our junk, all of our stuff, this God was willing in Christ to give himself up for us. This is what Paul is bringing Peter back to. He's bringing the Galatians back to. He's bringing himself back to. The love of God expressed in Jesus. That you can sit with all of the extent of your brokenness and damage, your wrongdoing and the wrongdoing done against you. You can sit with all of that and rest in the love of God because of what he's done for you in Christ. It is no longer held against you, and that is why Paul ultimately brings it back to identity. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Christ's record by faith in him becomes our record, Christ's reputation becomes our reputation. Christ's past becomes our past. His performance counts as our performance. And it changes everything, fundamentally beginning with who we actually really are. And this, this motivates us, empowers us to love God better, but to love others better, especially those who are different from us. Because we don't have the... the, the, the we're always going to wrestle with it, but increasingly the need to justify ourselves by feeling better than people who are different from us will will fall away. Let's pray. Father, we want to express our thanks for your word. For how detailed it is, for how deep it is, for even those places that are a little hard to understand. That's life. Life is not always easy to understand. Life is so complex that we shouldn't expect for your revelation to us of how life works to always just be simplistic because that's not life. And so thank you for speaking truthfully to us. And thank you that there's no disconnect between God talk and real talk, that they're all the same because your word tells the true story of life. We thank you for your word, but we also thank you for Jesus your word in the, in the flesh. We thank you that he gave himself for us. And we thank you that by faith in him, we no longer have to play the game of self-justification, but we can rest in the justification that is ours because of what you've done. I pray that you would unpack for us all of the ways in which this is relevant. I pray that we would experience in our actual lives all of the ways in which this is meaningful and changes us. And I pray that we would grow in our love of you and neighbor as a result. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.